uh, I'm excited to get into it this morning. I want to say again, thank you for our guest, uh, for being here and for being our guest. I also want to reiterate uh, that video. Uh, man, our groups are so vital. They, they're not, I'm not just saying they're important. I'm just not saying they're good. I'm saying if, if you are here, uh, we want to make sure that you're invited and that you get a part of a group, an adult connect group. Um, even if you're a regular attender, you can go to one of our groups. You don't have to be a member of the church to go to uh, one of our groups. And so, again, you can find that at Church Center. You say, what is Church Center? It's simply an app. Like, you open up Facebook on your phone. You open up your mail or your text messages. It's an app on your phone. Uh, you put in our church, and it's a real easy process to get through that. Uh, but you can find out all the information about our church there, calendar events, um, and then stuff like that, like groups and, and uh, different things you can be a part of. But um, again, I want to start off with this reminder of what our theme is this year. You see the graphic, not that graphic, the graphic that was on before, uh, Unto Him. It comes from Jude chapter, Jude, there's only one, Jude chapter 1, verse 24, uh, and it says this, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the pres- presence of His glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. And I I love that verse. I love this theme this year. Again, keeping us focused on Christ. He is the center. He's supposed to be the center of everything in our life. Everything we do, whether you're at your your job, whether you're at home, here worshiping. And uh, this morning as we spent time in, in song and worship, I was just, I don't know, my heart was just full. Uh, thinking about us just giving him all the praise and, and singing those songs, I, I, I give you my everything. And I hope that's your sincere prayer this morning as we begin into, uh, or get back into this study. Last week we saw three points surface from, the chapter, from chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Those three points were this. Number one, shameless sharing of the gospel is essential. The closer we get to Christ's return, we should be even more bold in our witness. And I have to ask you, even in the introduction, is that the definition of your life right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you becoming more bold? Are you shameless, bold in your your sharing of the gospel? Uh, I've challenged our church a few times recently and asked you questions like this. When is the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? Can you you remember the last time? Can you you remember a time when you handed somebody a gospel tract at least, just, just gave them the the scriptures that will point them to Christ. I just have a hard time talking to people. And and again, I I challenge you, maybe you need to come to this altar this morning at the end of the service, there in your seat, whatever, and pray that prayer. I pray it often because I have a tendency in myself to to retract and recluse and not be as bold in sharing the gospel as I need to. There's some people that are extroverts. They talk to everybody. They connect with everybody. So I, I pray for that. God, give me boldness. I, I don't ever want to shy away. I don't ever want to miss an opportunity. I've missed too many in my life. And so as the closer we get to Christ, the more shamelessly we need to be sharing the gospel. And that's essential. The second point was this. Sacrificial ministry for, for the Savior is principled. Again, Paul was talking to the Thessalonians and talking about how they had labored and toiled day and night. They were sacrificing so that other people would benefit from the gospel. From their service, it was all about other people. And again, in, in this self-centered, selfish, look out for me and mine, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, kind of world that we're living in right now, it's so important for us to remember that what Jesus did is put others above himself. He, he, he so loved the world that he gave. And so you and I have that as our model. We are to put others above ourselves. We are to consider 
others before we consider ourselves, and we are to serve others in love. And that sacrificial service is principle. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more it's important that we are sacrificing for others. Again, the tendency in the flesh and in the, in the world we live in is to make sure that we're doing more for ourselves than we are for others. Well, I, I need time for this, or I have time. Again, God gives us that time. God gives us the things we need, especially if we're being obedient and serving others before, him, before ourselves. The third point was this, sincere acceptance of truth is paramount. And as I said, we live in a crazy world. There's weird things going on, and you say, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what not to believe. There's all this stuff. There's hoaxes. There's this. There's that. All this. I don't even know what. Listen, that's why you and I, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we have the truth. And, and, and any time and every time we have the opportunity to be in it, to hear it, to receive it, man, we have got to make sure that our hearts are ready. And don't just go through your daily devotions as a, as a ritual or just the, the, something that you do. Sincerely accept the truth that God has delivered to you. In, in the middle of this sermon, uh, I, I pray that you entered in today and said, God, I may hear something I've heard a thousand times, but I want to receive it as it's from you because it is from you. We've got to make sure that it's our hearts because, again, there's a lot of mature Christians in here, a lot of people who've studied God's Word, who, who have studied God's Word for decades. And there's not a whole lot of revelation, new things that's going to be revealed to, to the people who have been studying God's Word. But you know what it can do? It can fall on a fresh and ready heart. It can fall on fresh ears because it's the Word of God and it's living and it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We've got to make sure that we are sincerely accepting the truth. And so we turn our attention this morning to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, and Paul continues his affectionate appeal to these believers there. In verse 1, he says this, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and so we sent Tim Timothy, verse 2, our brother and God's fellow worker or laborer in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So if you get the picture, the apostle Paul said, you know, we're gonna, we, stood, we stayed behind in Athens and we sent Timothy back to you, Thessalonian believers, so that he could encourage you and strengthen you in your faith. Verse 3, here's the reason why. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. He had already talked about their faith becoming more and more apparent in the midst of affliction, right? This is something we've talked about before. Um, the afflictions that Thessalonian believers were facing were, were not just the normal afflictions that you and I face alone, right? You and I face those things. We, Brother Nash was just um, uh, sharing this this morning and, and, and praying. Um, some of you may know, he, he and his family have gone through it just this past week. Crazy things going on and, and struggles and, and house fires and wrecks and, and all kinds of stuff going on. And, and that's the kind of stuff that you and I deal with, right? I just heard this morning, walking in uh, to the sanctuary, another, another person's house was on fire, not in our church, but in, in their neighborhood. And, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff we deal, in a, deal with in a fallen world. We deal with sickness. We deal with struggles. There's affliction in this life. But these, these people were dealing not only with those type of afflictions, they were dealing with persecution. Because they were followers of Christ, there were people that wanted them dead. Because they were sharing the gospel, there were people that wanted them shut up in prison. No longer free. So again, they have the illnesses and the struggles and, and the normal day-to-day -day struggles that you and I have. On top of that, people were trying to silence them and even kill them for their faith. So this is what he's talking about. He said, we want to make sure I sent to you 
so that no one's faith would be disturbed by the afflictions they're going through. Listen as he goes on. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Paul had already delivered that to them. He'd already uh, taught them this, that Christ suffered for us, and we are blessed to be able to suffer for him. Right? Again, that kind of goes against the, the way that we have been taught to live our lives. Right? We, we've been taught to, to, taught to live safe and, and protect ourselves, which again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't protect ourselves from evil, but we have been programmed, I believe, in our minds and our hearts and our, our culture to not think about other people first, to not live sacrificially, to not be willing to lay our lives on the line for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said, you, you yourselves know that this is what we were destined for, to suffer for Christ. This is what it this is what it's about. Again, so many people have this misunderstanding that whenever you get saved, number one, you become a perfect person. That's a misconception, right? Amen, Christians? Number two, that everything in your life becomes wonderful and you have no more problems. Right? And some people, some people present the gospel like that. Hey, you need to get, get Jesus Christ in your life so that your life gets good. Right? And, and a lot of people who end up surrendering their life to Christ... Right after they get saved, they, they realize all these attacks and all these struggles. And they're like, what is going on? I wanted a good life. I, I wanted my life easy. That's why I got Jesus. Well, you, you signed up for the wrong thing. <laughs> Paul said, look, when you, get, w- when you follow Christ, this is what we're destined for. Verse 4, for indeed, when, you were, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. That's the, that's the reality, he said. And so it came to pass, as you know, verse 5, for this reason, when I, can do it, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. So I, I couldn't handle anymore. I knew that you guys were going through this, the difficulty. We already have been through it. We are continuing to go through it. But I, you, you are new believers, Thessalonians, so I couldn't take it any longer. I had to find out how you were doing. That's why we sent Timothy. Even though you knew that we were destined for affliction, for following Christ, I still needed to find out how you, were, how you were handling all the struggle and all the affliction. Point number one in our notes this morning is this. Affliction in the faith is to be expected for all believers. Affliction in the faith is to be expected for all believers. Apparently no one gets a pass. Matter of fact, again, we've, we've covered this in our study on the church. If you were here and we went through um, many, many, many lessons and, and, and sermons on the church and throughout all of church history, throughout all the letters to the churches that we find in Scripture, believers in Scripture are suffering. They are to be ready for affliction and difficulty, trial and tribulation. Again, they're all parts of living in a fallen world. And should be expected for, for Christians. And hear this, especially the more faithfully and boldly you live out your faith. Right? That, that's that's the, the difficulty, right? To, to, to think that the more I faithfully live for Christ, the more boldly I live for Him, the chances of my suffering go up. So the temptation in the flesh is to what? Not live boldly. Not, not live more passionately and more faithfully to Christ. The tendency is to say, well, how can I make it down the path of least resistance? 
But I want to encourage you this morning that the promises associated with such a lifestyle that we see in, in Paul and, and the, the apostles and, and, and the Thessalonian believers and, and throughout all the church history we can find that the blessings and the promises associated with enduring all the afflictions are monumental and eternal. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, again, Paul writing to Timothy later on in ministry, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I know we got some students in here that you have experienced a little bit of that in your school if you've chosen to live godly. You say, I, 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 some of my friends turned their back on me. Some of my, my peers have made fun of me. They've called me Bible Thumper and Goody Two-Shoes or whatever. If we choose to live that path of godliness in Christ Jesus, there will be persecution. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus again promised, promised his disciples in, in John chapter 16, verse 33, that he said, of these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. You have trials and troubles, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Again, the, the promises associated with being afflicted and suffering for the name of Christ are great and eternal. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read several of these scriptures because it's so vital. The, the whole, almost the whole book of 1 Peter is, is saturated with this type of teaching and encouragement about suffering for the name of Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, Brother, uh, Brother Tony read this morning, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, praise God, reserved in heaven for you who are protected, listen to this, by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. I mean, if you don't have any greater promises about being safe in the arms of Christ, here it is. No matter what happens to you, you are being protected by the power of God. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, the trying of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what he just said? He said, when your faith is tried, when you go through it in this, in this life, and you're tested, and you're tried, and even if you're persecuted, what ends up happening is through that process, your faith is refined, and that refined faith brings glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ, even and especially at his coming. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Then the very next chapter, verse 20, says this, For what credit is there if, if when you sin, 
you're harshly treated, right? There's no praise in that. Oh, you messed up and now you suffer the consequences. There's no praise in that. And when you endure it in patience, but what if when you do what is right and then you suffer for it and you patiently endure that, he said, this finds favor with God. For if you've been called for this purpose, I'm sorry, for you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. When they were calling him, you know, mocking him and spitting on him, and he said, oh, save yourself if you're, if you're the Messiah. He didn't say anything in return, the Bible says. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed spiritually. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The very next chapter, chapter 3. So we've now seen in chapter 1. Chapter 2, chapter 3 says this, verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind-hearted and humble in spirit to one another he's saying not returning evil for evil or insult for insult but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing for the one who desires life and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil evil and his lips from speaking deceit he must turn away from evil and do good he must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He said, I'm, I'm ready to see God's face against evil. I am. I'm so sick. I'm so sick of the evil in this world. I can't stand of hearing week after week of evil being executed, exacted on, on, on people. It's, it's tiring. It's spiritually exhausting. I'm sick of it. The Bible says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then he says, As who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. He is Lord. Set him apart. There is no other I serve. There is no one over me except for Jesus Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he, all, he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely, safely through the water. This is corresponding to that. Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt, not the water, the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, does this, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers and have been subjected to him. I'm not going to read all of chapter 4, but I want to encourage you to read chapter 4 when you get, a, get an opportunity. Because it's a very good encouragement 
about suffering for Christ as well. So you saw like almost the whole chapter. In chapter 5 it goes in and says, in the beginning of it says that Satan is it's like a roaring lion. I want to read this short section in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, do you, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have tares? How, how do you have all these weeds in the midst of all of this good wheat? He said to them, An enemy's done this. The slave said to him, Well, do you want us then to go and, and gather them up? Do you want us to go rip out all the weeds? He said, no. For while you're gathering up the tares, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Paul goes on in chapter 3, verse 6, but now Timothy now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us, longing to see, it, see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Did you hear what he said? He said, look, we have been so encouraged to hear that you always are thinking kindly of us. What an encouragement for, for a, a spiritual leader. You're always thinking kindly of us. Long to see us just as we long to see you. This relationship is mutual. He says, for this reason, in all our stress and affliction, we were comforted about you because of your faith. That's what encouraged us, to hear that you stood firm in the faith, that you didn't give up, that the persecution didn't break you. He says, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul said, look, you know what's giving us energy? You know what's giving us life? You know what's keeping us going even as we're suffering and as we're in prison, as we're struggling in the faith to continue to serve Christ? You know what's keeping us alive? Your faith. Your faith. You're standing firm in the Lord. He says, well, what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day kept keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may compete complete what is lacking in your faith point number two affirmation of the faith is a great encouragement to others affirmation of the faith is a great encouragement to others and i would i'll put this little caveat in there especially to leaders i mean you know, you know what's encouraging to leaders is when you see people going through stuff and they stay faithful to Christ. That's encouraging. You know what's encouraging the leaders? You know what encourages leaders to keep going, to keep doing, to keep serving Christ, to keep preaching the truth is when, when the people of God who say they follow Christ actually follow Christ. That's what Paul was saying. You know what's keeping us going? The fact that you guys are staying with the stuff. That's what's keeping us going. And we can't wait to get back to you. 
We long to see you. We find out that you long to see us. Man, this love, this brotherly love that exists only within the body of Christ is supernatural. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit that we get experience a unity and a love that only exists in the family of God. Paul said, man, I, we are pumped up. I can't wait to get back to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and then imitate their faith. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with what? Joy, not groaning, for, what, uh, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, think, think about how much easier it is in your home when, when your kids do what they're supposed to do. As a parent, it's, it's encouraging. As a parent, it's, it's, it's invigorating. Everything's working the way it's supposed to work. But when, when the kids don't do that, what ends up happening, the parents can get discouraged and frustrated and parent from that place. Right? Paul was telling these believers, man, what's, what's exciting? What keeps us going? Not just the power of Christ, but man, you, your faith and your faithfulness to Christ. Paul wasn't talking about anything about money. He wasn't talking, he, matter, again, matter of fact, we already talked about this. He said, we don't want to ask anything from you. We, we just want you to be faithful to Christ. All the other stuff will come and take care of itself. Your faith and your faithfulness, church, encourages others. Think about the feeling. Think about your child again. If you have kids, think about, think about them. You have an important event for them. Right? It's really important. This, this, this event is for your kid, your grandkid. And then the people that say they love your kid don't show up. Not only they don't show up, but they don't even tell you they're not going to show up for your kid. They just don't show up because they have other more important things to do. And you thought it was important to them as well. How does that make you feel? Hurt? Discouraged? I thought these people loved my kid. I wonder how the, the father's heart feels. What about your brother or your sister? You are tasked for your brother and your sister to get people to see the importance of being there for their retirement celebration, for their 50th birthday, for their 40th birthday, whatever the case may be. It's your job to get people there, but no one shows up. Very discouraging. What is the temptation there? To give up. To not do it again. Never again will I do this. Never again will I put myself out. Never again will I spend all that money, all that effort, all that to, to try to get people here for someone else who they say is important to them. So how, does you, how do you think it makes others feel? They have other things more important than celebrating the Son of God. I said, how do you think it makes the father feel? A major part of our Christian life is doing what we're doing right now. The church has done it from the beginning. 
And I'm so thankful you're here this morning, but this is, this is a vital part. We talked about this in the study of the church. And in our culture today, it's been so minimized. And, and on, on the flip side of the minimization, there's also been, uh, I think, a magnification of this alone defining your walk with Christ. And I want to tell you, church, it is not. You showing up for church today doesn't mean that you're a good Christian. You're showing up for church today doesn't give you a positive bank account spiritually for the rest of the week that you can just draw from doing what you want to do for the world. No, but this is vital, essential, always has been. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And listen to these words, and all the more as you see the day, that's the day of the Lord, the return of Christ drawing near. You should be gathering and encouraging one another in the faith more and more and more and more the closer you get to Christ's return. What's the job of the church when we gather? To encourage one another. We should do it more and more as we see the day approaching. But the question has to be asked, if you aren't here, can you encourage in the gathering? No, he says gather so you can encourage. Who are we supposed to encourage? Fellow believers and leaders who God has installed. Again, this is vital. There are many leaders who give up not because they're not going the right direction, but oftentimes people they're leading have become hard-hearted and stubborn, refusing to be led and losing sight of the big picture. You know, it's not to say that leaders can't get off in their motivation. Of course they can. Of course they can lose sight of the purpose for which they've been installed as a leader. But I believe there's two types of leaders. Number one, there are leaders who seek to please self. And there are leaders who seek to please Christ. Many leaders, because, again, we still operate in fleshly bodies that are tarnished by the world and tarnished by sin. Again, we have to do the same thing and keep the self-seeking nature of the old man in check. Every Christian does. And remember, leaders are humans too. While driven to seek, seek, to, seek uh, to please Christ, it's still a reality that the flesh will try to creep in and attempt to make the calling that has been placed on a leader's life and the position about self and not the Savior. See, I, me personally, I view the position of the pastor as vital and important and esteemed. And if you know me, it's not because I hold that position. The reason why it's so important is because Christ appointed and gave this office to the church. Why? Why, did he, why? why would he use, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the weakest, the base things, so that he would be exalted? And that's the purpose of the pastor. That's the purpose of the leaders in the church. It's to keep the body pointed at him and seeking to glorify him. That, that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to have something that the world looks at and says, oh, that's cool. I, I care less. I want our church to be pointed at Christ in his kingdom. I want every single member of this church to say, yeah, we're on board, let's do it. Let's keep going after Christ, let's keep serving him, let's keep sharing the gospel, let's keep doing it more and more and more the closer we get to his return. And that's, that's 
similar to a coach, hey, keep your eyes on the vision. Keep your eyes on the purpose. Keep your eyes on the game plan. That's what we've got to do. That's my desire. The mature believer, I believe, understands this. If you're a mature believer, you know that. And therefore wants to keep the leader's arms lifted, similar to what Aaron and her did for Moses, so that the focus of the body remains on Christ alone. Why do you want the leaders of this church encouraged? Why do you want them to feel supported that you're a part of what's going on? Why? So that we stay focused on Christ. So the discouragement doesn't creep in. So that frustration doesn't creep in. And it starts becoming about man and self and other stuff other than all about Christ. That's why you want that. Paul sent to Timothy. and sent Timothy to affirm their faith there in Thessalonica and Again, they stood first, stood firm in their faith in the midst of great affliction and persecution. And Paul said, look, we, we just want to make sure that you're laboring for Christ and advancing the kingdom of God, not Satan's kingdom. You know, why is this so? Paul was in the trenches. He wasn't sitting idly by and preaching from the grandstands. You guys go out and do all this and I'm going to watch you do it. No. Paul was suffering as well. To the Corinthians, he charged this, and we're not going to get to the third point, but I want to finish this section up. Verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, Paul, Paul was doing that. Paul was laboring for the Lord. He was showing up. He was there. He was doing what he was called to do, and he was charged in the Thessalonian church with the same exact encouragement. What would have been if Paul would have been buckling under, the, under affliction? And then he was asking the Thessalonians how they were doing in the midst of affliction. Hey, keep going. Well, Paul, what are you doing? Pointed back to the leaders in this church. Pastors are definitely leaders are definitely encouraged when they see the people that they're leading and teaching and serving with respond to the word of God and remain fruitful and faithful for the kingdom of God. I, I just want to give you a, a quick illustration if, if it would have been flipped. They have put it, yeah, I put it on. Do we have that? Yeah. Can you imagine if, if Timothy brought back a negative report and Paul had to respond to the negative report? What if it went something like this? For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. Verse 6. And now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us bad news of your faith and love and that you rarely think kindly of us, not longing to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were discouraged about you through your faith. For now we really feel like giving up because you don't stand firm in the Lord. And we can't give thanks to God for you in return for the joy that we would have had with which we could have rejoiced before our God on your account. Again, Paul said, that the love and the faith that the Thessalonians had for them and were living in was a great comfort and encouragement to him. What happens if believers stop being faithful and living by faith? 
What if, what, if, what if it gets in America a little more difficult for us to live our Christian lives? And it's not just activities and other things that pull us out of fellowship and, and, and faithfully gathering together. It's, it's threats. What happens if believers stop being faithful and living by faith? Well, just what we just read. Leaders will, will definitely get discouraged. Then what? What if, what if leaders in churches in America start getting even more discouraged than a lot of them already are? And then they'll be tempted to stop leading and preaching and keeping the church focused on Christ. Well, then, then what happens if, if, if the leaders are discouraged and they stop preaching the word of God and stop pointing the church to Christ and it becomes more about trying to, 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 to just keep a grip on things, then what? Then the church experiences a void. Well, then what? In the midst of the void, the enemy has an open door. Well, then what? Many people stop pressing toward the mark and living for the mission, for the kingdom of God. Instead, they start living for self and self-preservation. Then what? What, what What if people stop doing these things the enemy is 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 wreaking havoc across the churches in america and 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 then what happens if if people are in that situation the lost stop getting reached and that's the ultimate failure of the church because we've been entrusted with the gospel I believe part of the reason why Paul and his ministry team were, were still going, it, yes, the power of Christ, yes, the Holy Spirit in them, but man, it was, it, was, it was situations like this. It was believers who were holding fast and firm to the truth and the faith. They were holding the gospel. They were looking to Christ. They were faithful amidst persecution. And I believe it was part of the energy that kept, Paul said that, this is, this is what's giving us life, he said. See, it's beneficial to the church overall when, when leaders are encouraged. It's beneficial to the church overall when sincere faith is lived out for each other, for the body. So the family of God is encouraged like that. Paul and his team weren't the only ones who were encouraged by the love and the faith, the faithfulness of the Thessalonian believers. Remember what, Paul, remember what he said in chapter 1? He said, the people in the whole region were being positively affected by the faith and the faithfulness, the gospel-centered, mission-minded lives of the Thessalonian believers. The whole region was being encouraged and affected. And last of all, when you're looking and living your life to encourage other people, hey, why'd you come today? I came today to hear from God, amen? But I want to say something else. Part of it, again, we just read it, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I came today to be an encouragement to my church family. Because your presence is an encouragement already. But do something else. Look in your life to live as an encourager to other people. And when you live like that, you say, well, all I did is show up today, and then I listened to the message, and then afterwards I, I shook some people's hands and hugged some people's necks. Yeah, Absolutely. That's encouragement. No, no, no. I, I came today. I, I did my part. I sat in my place and then I left. See, when you 
seek to encourage others from a sincere place, you open yourself up to be encouraged. And I want to encourage you this morning. Make sure that's how you're living your life. If you're a child of God, if you're a member of this church, look to pour yourself out for others. Look to encourage other people. Don't just, yeah, show up, but don't just show up. What are you giving to the body? What are you adding to it? How are you holding up the leaders, the group leaders, the ministry leaders, the pastors of this church, the, the, the deacons? How, how are you encouraging those who are leading? Being here is part of it. But do everything you can do so that we stay on track. And when it gets more difficult to live this life, we keep going. If you're here this morning, and you heard about being a part of the church, heard about Jesus giving himself, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with him? If you're sitting in here and you say, I think I will, but I don't know that I will spend eternity with God. And I'm begging you this morning. We're about to have an invitation. I'm begging you to come forward. There's going to be other people moving to this altar, and we got people here on the front, men and women both. And you can say, he was asking us if we knew, and I don't know, but I want to know how I can go to heaven when I die. And we would be more than happy to show you in God's word. We could, we could tell you what God said so that you can know. That's what scripture says. And so I don't, man, I don't know about coming forward. You can stop at the back on your way out and say, hey, can we have a conversation? But please don't leave this place not knowing where, where you're going to spend eternity. Father, thank you for this time again. Thank you for your word and, again, the encouragement that we have in light of the end times. And our world is getting crazier, Lord. And we know that's not a surprise to you. And uh, Lord, we shouldn't be surprised if we study your word. We know that the closer we get to your return, the crazier it's going to get. But we can, we can stay encouraged. We can live in faith and not fear. Uh, we can continue to encourage each other and, and be strong and bold in our witness for you if we stay focused on you. And I pray that this morning was an encouragement and a challenge to do that. Our lives can get so distracted. We can get so off track and focused on stuff and things and events and problems and struggles we can get so sidetracked lord help us to have that big picture to remember that we're here for your pleasure god we're here for an eternal purpose and there are temporal blessings that we have along the way but that's not what this life is about help us to live on mission for you help us encourage one another and be faithful to do so the more the the closer we get to your return lord help us now to respond in the right way and uh, just be glorified in our response in jesus name Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.